for what you've done, what you did, doesn't matter what it was, you are the best among us. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you gave. Thank you very much. This is a weird one for me. I tend to keep politics and religion very separate, and I tend to avoid topics of the day. Um, one of the issues I have with, and a lot of people think I'm weird because I keep politics and religion separate, very separate. Yeah. And the reason why is because I, I feel like if we're doing what God called us to do, living in the world, not, but not being of the world, being an example, being messengers to those around us, we, you can change a nation without having to directly put in to the politics, you know, scripture or whatever the case may be. Our entire, our entire uh, constitution was built off the premise of what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? What is the purpose of the laws of God? Let's take the general concept of having freedom of thought, freedom of choice, freedom of, of, you know, property rights, freedom, all these things, and we'll put the essence of those things into it. Why? Because if you're following the laws correctly, the essence is to be good to each other, to help each other, and to not deprive each other of life, bodily, you know, whatever the case may be. So I believe we can affect an entire amount of change without literally going in and saying, okay, because I am a Baptist, I'm going to make laws that are blank. I believe a good law is a law that everybody wins. doesn't matter what you are, who you are, what you're doing. That's a good law that nobody is adversely affected. Everyone has a positive out of it. And I believe if we legislate that way, what happens is, the people will see, because of their own freedom of thought, freedom of choice, they will see what the best way is. I have no problem with going on stage with a Muslim and saying, you explain what Islam is, I'll explain what Christianity is. And the reason why is because I believe Christianity will win when freedom of conscience and freedom of thought is used. I have that much faith in what I believe. That I believe when put head-to-head, -head, Christianity wins. Because it's a better religion. It is a better... We have a better Savior. <laughs> we, we have everything we need. So I am very separate with these things. I believe to be the best citizen you can be under all circumstances. With the exception of when the government wants you to do something that is unlawful to God. So as an example... I rarely rail on anything. The only thing I rail on is things like abortion. doesn't matter the law, law says it's legal. It, I don't care. You will never get me to ever consider it to be okay. Ever. And the issue is, like if you read in Romans 13, it refers to the fact that God ordains our or all of everything, everything that's ever happened as far as a government, God has ordained that for a reason, for a purpose. He, he has a call for us 
to to be under a government. And oftentimes, because, well, first of all, it's because if people left their own devices, it would be chaos. <laughs> but if we go to 13 real quick, this Romans chapter 13 real fast. And the point of this is, is that this is specifically governments, but it works in all purposes. And 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Mm-hmm. Whosoever therefore resists the power resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power that do do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So he's saying, most governments, even in Rome, the Romans did a lot of good things. And, got, and he's saying, follow that. Be okay with that. The only thing you have to resist is when they're telling you to do something that is against God. Everything else, governments are ordained. Why? To be a terror against those who practice evil. Really, all governments, whether it's the, 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 the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans, they really wanted peace. Because when you have a peaceful people, you have a prosperous nation. So even the Romans, as disgusting and sick as some of the stuff they did, it was all for the objective of what? To keep people from doing bad things. That way they can have as peaceful an existence as possible. So when that's the case, that's... Obviously, God ordains that. God's okay with that sort of thing. God does not call us to overthrow governments. He calls us to be the change we want to see, personally. And the reason why I put all that out is because I, I, get, I have a lot of people who really get opposed to me because I am anti-war. I am 100% against war on all causes, always. Always. I believe war means death, and death of people is bad under all circumstances. There have been just justifiable wars. There have. It has been times where you have no choice but to go to war. That's the only way justice can be served. But war in and of itself would be what would be considered a necessary evil. It's not good. I'm anti-war 100% of the time. However, I am pro-soldiers. I am pro-military. I believe, first of all, I believe I'm what's called a, they call them American chauvinists. I believe the United States is the greatest country that's ever existed, ever. There's never been one greater. I believe that has done more good for humanity, has caused more good things, and has reformed more than anyone ever has. And I believe it is because of our military power and because of the fact that we have such a good and strong fighting force that fights so well and so effective that we've been able to be that. However, I praise the soldiers because they're so good, we've actually had less wars because of how good they are. Because people don't want to come against us. When, they, when there's the threat of, okay, we have to deal with the American soldier or we can just kind of settle down, most of the time they'd rather settle down. 
because they don't want to. And that goes to the efficiency, to the quality, to the just the overall dependability of our soldiers. And so I believe our soldiers are 100% necessary. Like I said, they are the best among us. They are oftentimes the brightest among us. They, they are, I mean, it's one thing to defend your family to the death. It's one thing to defend your neighborhood. It's something totally different to be willing to die for an idea that everybody is equal to the same freedom. And it is totally different to die for someone you've never met, that you will never know, that may not even appreciate it, that may stomp on a flag, because that's the right that, that they got because of what that person died for. So I am completely on soldier's side. I believe the VA needs to be changed. That is, it's ridiculous, the stuff that goes on. But I am anti-war. I really am. Even when it's necessary, I don't think it's a good thing. Because I, I am for people. I think people, we need to be pro-life as much as pro-life can possibly mean in all concepts. Pro-people. We need to be pro-people. Now, that I've said that, like I said, I've, <laughs> when it's explained out, I know a lot of people, but I mean, I've actually, I have people, I have a, a lady that considered, she considered me like one of her sons. She won't talk to me today because when she found out that I was against war and I'm like, I can't, I just can't say that it's a good thing. Even like World War II, say, well, it ultimately did. It was a necessary evil, but it was still not good that 39 million people died in a, in a nine-year period. That's, that's insanity. That's insanity to think that. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> there have been so many wars that we look at and say, well, not that many, not that many people. It's, it's, it's sad when one or two People die. When just one person dies, and now a family has to raise without a father, that, that's terrible. Yeah. Even though that person was willing to sacrifice that, that's amazing, but that's still awful. That's still, that's still not what we want to see. We just don't want to see it. So, I, like I said, if, if, just want to make sure I clarify that, you know, I'm not... <laughs> You know, I, I am for our military. I'm for our government, but I our our soldiers. But I am I'm not pro war. That's one thing I will never be. If oh, we're aiming up for war, I pray every day that everything could be settled diplomatically. Because just because our soldiers are willing to die, does not mean that they should. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they should. So, what we're going to do is, this is the last sermon in the Misunderstandings uh, series that I've been doing. And it's called, The Lord's Army. We're going to start in Matthew 10. This whole series I've been bouncing around a lot, so get ready for it. We're going to bounce a little bit. Matthew 10, starting in the twenty. Sixth verse. It says, 
Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing or a penny? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more valuable than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him I will confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. We see that Christ says very purely, he, didn't, he, he knows when he comes, he's not bringing peace. It's going to mean a sword. It's going to mean war. It's going to mean death. Because he is upsetting the status quo. He is telling people something they don't want to hear. Especially in that time, it's the concept of, well, you have all these laws and all these things in place, and all of it's unjust. It's all about believing in God, believing in Christ, and believing in what he did on the cross. In today's day and age, it's still just as offensive to people. When you sit there and you go, well, you know, I'm not that bad of a person, or I'm not, and then the person goes, well, actually, everything you can do is filthy rags before God, because God's perfect. And that's, the, that's what you have to be to get to heaven is perfect. That's an offensive doctrine. It's an offensive doctrine to tell somebody who, by our estimation, is a decent person. But you say, yeah, but that's not good enough. You're not good enough. That's offensive. <laughs> that's offensive no matter who you are. And Jesus knew that. The thing is, is when he says he came not for peace for a sword, he's not talking about that his people were going to pick up swords and fight. He's saying they're going to use swords against you. They're going to use swords against you. Not that you're going to be using swords against them. That you're going to be, they're, they're, you're going to be on the defensive when this situation happens. <clears throat> Let's, uh, we're going to jump forward and go to Matthew 16. This is right after uh, 
16, we're going to start in the 21st verse. And this is just after uh, Christ feeds the, the 4,000. And, you know, Christ is feeding people. He's doing all kinds of miracles, all kinds of amazing things. The whole time he's telling them, listen, I'm going to die and, you know, raise again in three days. And they just, what? What is he talking about? What? The whole time he's telling them, I'm going to go up so I can be hung on a tree. What? What is he talking about? So Matthew 16 and 21st verse, starting, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. This is, this, this is God in flesh. Going, well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. And Peter takes him aside by the clothes and, and stop saying that. We don't want to hear it. That's, that's an extreme case, but that's what we are. I don't want to hear it. Stop. He's saying that to his face. Going, just stop. Just stop saying that. I don't want to hear that. I mean, <laughs> takes a lot of guts, I guess, but... Amen. 20, the 23rd verse says, But he returned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, or a stumbling block, or whatever you want, to me. For thou savorest me, thou wants not the things that be of God, but those that are of men. So he's saying savor because he just fed the 4,000. He's telling them, Peter, the reason why you like me being around is because you never go hungry. Because you get to walk on water. Because you get to have all these amazing things happen around you. You get to see people healed. You get to... You're thinking of the flesh. You're thinking of what it's like to never have want, to never need. These are not the things of God that you're worried about. You're not thinking about the things of God. You're thinking about your flesh. And it's, it's I don't know, it's just, it's funny to me how it says, um, just, I love I love that, where he, in 22, where he, Peter takes him aside to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from thee, Lord, thou shalt, this shall not be unto thee. And like he said, 23, but he turned and he said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For thou savest not the things of the world, but, that, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. Seems like there's a very consistent theme here going on with Christ telling them, listen, whoever wants to save your life, you're going to lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life, that's how you're saved. It's very consistent. Very consistent. 26 says, For what profit, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he shall reward every man according to his works. God has the final set. Vengeance is God's, declares the Lord. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the one who will judge. Lay everything bare and be the judge. We 
can do whatever we want. We can claim whatever we want. We can act however we want. It's all going to be laid bare in the end and at the judgment seat and Christ will handle it. Many offenses will we see for his name, but don't fear not for he has overcome them all. That's, that's the message that we are to bring. We're going to jump forward to John 18. And the 33rd verse is where we're going to start in John 18. And it says, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, say, answered him, Say you this thing of me, or did others tell you of me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the priests, chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What has thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said unto them, I find no fault at all. God works through governments. He just does. He works through bad governments. He works through good governments. You know why? Because governments are based on people. And God works through people. Everything you do affects something in life. You can choose to be good, or you can choose to be bad. You can have a good effect, and have a bad effect. You can be the person that people point at and say, well, don't be like him. Or you can be like the person that people point at and say, oh, I... Probably a good idea to be like that person. Emulate that person. Be like that person. You can be the type of person like Pilate who throughout all things resisted evil because he knew a good person when he saw it. And he didn't want to be, as Romans 13 said, he didn't want to be a terror to the good. He wanted to be a terror to evil. So what does he say? I find no fault. But think about this. Why? Because when he asked God, Jesus, are you a king? This was a perfect time. If you read throughout John, especially John, you'll see how that the Jews were super worried and the Romans were super worried that there was going to be an insurrection. That they were going to rise up against. There was a ton of, of military force brought in, especially around Passover and Pentecost where huge, just millions of people are going to show up. And... They are worried that there's going to be an insurrection, a civil war. There's going to be something happening. And Jesus could have gotten out of this by saying yes. Think about it. If he would have said, yes, I am a king. And I'm going to, he probably could have walked out, raised his hands and said, 
I'm the king and I'm taking over. And they would have tried to overthrow the government. They were ready for it. They were ready to fight. They were ready to draw swords. And what did, God, what did Jesus say? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight and I would never have been delivered. Because he knows the intention of people. People, we like to fight. There are times you like to fight. You fight just because it's the thing. So you'll disagree with people just because you, dis- you want to be disagreeable that day. It's, it's in our nature to fight, to argue, to these. Why? We're territorial. These are actually, believe it or not, things put, God put inside of us to be a good thing. You use that territorialness to say, no, no, this is my family. This is my children. This is my wife. I'm going to take care of them and I'll fight to the death for them. It's a territorial thing that God put in for a good purpose. But we can use it for a bad purpose. We can say, no, no, I want my neighbor's land too. No, no, I want his stuff. No, no, I want this. Instead of using it for the right purpose, which is my family's important. My children are important. These things are important to me. See, we, when you have a nation, a nation can build up and grow up with a wrong mindset. A mindset of always wanting more and all and always looking for what your neighbor has. And this is the type of mindset that will cause an entire nation to do the wrong thing, to desire war, to desire other people's stuff. If nothing else, it's a type of thing that will raise them up to when they get to a certain level, other people will envy them and want to come after what is theirs because they have so much. We live in a nation where our poorest people are richer than 85% of the rest of the world. <laughs> I mean, there are kings living in places today. We don't even know. The average Christian doesn't even realize there's a king in Thailand. They don't even realize there's a king in Spain. <laughs> doesn't even realize these things. And they barely live above the level that we live at in America. We have, for all, all of history, go 100 years ago and look at the, oh, the decadence they had in kingdoms. We have that today. We have running water and hot and cold. And we have every day. I mean, it was a miracle when they got to take a bath one time a year, 150 years ago. Nowadays, we let the water run and just let it run down the drain all day. I mean, you imagine what, I guess I was like, you imagine what a father would be like back then if the kid left the water open 150 years ago. That was the only bath water they had. For a year. And they would do it the whole family. It wasn't draw a bath for each one. They would draw a tub, 30 gallons of of water. The father would go, the mother would go, the oldest child would go, and then they throw the kid the rest of the kids in and just that's where we get the term, don't throw the baby out with the bath water. Because there's a time you couldn't even find them anymore. We we take these things for granted, but that's the same reason why the rest of the world will envy that sort of thing. So that is the reason why we need soldiers. We need people who are willing to give their life. But that's all the more reason. The fact that they're willing is all the more reason for us not to force them to lose their life for a a cause that is not just. We need to make sure that those who are willing are not just used for cannon fodder. Not just because we can, but because it is a righteous cause. We need to keep a righteous cause cause in mind let's go to luke 22 really fast not going to spend much time here 
But Luke 22, this part I'm going to show you is actually one of the worst, like most egregious parts where people just take and make it, try to make it mean all kinds of things that it just does not mean. So in the 22nd of Luke, starting in the 31st verse, it says, which I love this. This is, you got to think about Simon Peter, how he feels about the, after hearing this. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, meaning he has asked to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Understand that at this point, though, one of the reasons why, you know one of the reasons why the disciples couldn't understand what Christ was saying? All the time was because they weren't converted. They didn't have the Holy Spirit with as their guide. What did he just say there? I hope when you're converted, you'll be the one to lead the rest of the brothers. That's why they couldn't understand what Christ is saying. Christ is living truth. He is pure truth. Evil cannot understand or comprehend truth. It can't. It recoils. Evil, evil recoils from truth, from goodness, from righteousness. Just like just the perfect example of how that when you light strike a match, darkness recoils. It can't, they can't coexist. Two things don't. So while they're still in their flesh, Peter. They're trying, but they can't understand the things of God. And so Paul, uh, Jesus tells them, Satan came and asked specifically for you, Peter. He said, I want him. And he wasn't told no. Jesus said, I'm praying for you. Meaning, Satan was after him. <laughs> Satan was after him. 33. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto him, When I set you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. Now this is referring back to Luke 10, where he sends the disciples out. And all he did was send them out and said, rely on the good faith of others. Preach. If somebody won't take you in, kick the Shoot the dirt off your shoes and move on. But he tells them, you know, when I sent you out, did you without a purse, a script, shoes, you know, anything, lacked ye anything? And they said, nothing. Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script, and that he has no sword, and that he that has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that that this that is risen written must yet be accomplished in me, and he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. And he came out and went, and as he was wont to do, unto the mountain of olives, and his disciples followed him. Okay. People take this in all the time. Say, see, Christ said, sell your cloak and buy a sword. I literally know an evangelist that on YouTube sat there, read this out, and then after reading it, pulled back and pulled out an a, a, like an AR-15 and said, I don't have a sword, but I got this. That's not what God's talking about. Now, 
I'm not against people defending themselves. I am pro-Second Amendment all the way. I believe everybody in the country should have a gun. If, you're, if, you, if you want to. I mean, if you're afraid of them, then obviously I would rather have somebody who's not, not afraid to have a gun than somebody who's afraid. But I am totally, and I'm talking unabashedly, I, don't, I think hunting licenses are ridiculous. I think anybody who wants to hunt, you should be able to go hunt. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. But I am pro-Second Amendment, so it's not about the gun. It's not about defending. The problem is, we are not to go on the offensive. He's saying to them, I gave you nothing and you were fine. Now, if you have these things, a purse, a skirt, meaning money, a script, meaning you know something to keep yourself cold, warm at night, a cloak or something like that, he's saying, take those. If you have two coats, sell one, take a sword. Why? Because he's saying you're going to be, you're going to be hunted. You're going to be hunted. It's a self-defense thing. He's not saying be on the attack. He's saying be on the defense. Protect your family. Protect. Peter had a family. He's telling Peter, listen, protect your family. Do what you have to do. Satan's gunning for you. So, so protect yourself. The thing is, is that's not that's different than being on the attack. Now, the reason why he visited is because they said, well, it's here we, you know, because he said, sell it and buy a sword. And then they said, here's a sword. And he said, that is enough. It is enough. Or here's two swords. Here's enough. Okay. I'm just going to use a logic here. He has 12 people standing in front of him. And he tells them, if any one of you, you know, has an extra coat, sell it, buy a sword so you can protect yourself. And one of them says, hey, we got two swords. And he said, that's enough. You really think Jesus is saying, well, there's 10 of you, two swords, that's more than enough. That, really think that's what he's saying? He's saying, you know, get a sword between the two of you, you know, two of you at a time. You can just go out and attack the world. No. If you really just listen, just think about this. When I say this, this is one of these times where I say sometimes people, some people should not be teaching because they need without a better understanding of the English language. When I say this last part, when I say it is enough, think to yourself. Well, I mean, we got some parents here. Think about when your kids were doing this or that and you were telling them, okay, listen, when they hit you, you don't hit them back. What if they hit you? To, okay, listen. Okay, hit, and you say, okay, enough. I'm done. What are you saying? Are you saying, oh, yeah, go ahead, hit him? No, you're saying, I'm done talking to you now because you're not understanding. That's the same thing Grace is saying here. This is what he says, 37. For I say unto you that it is written that must yet accomplished in me that he, meaning I have to be reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end, meaning I will die. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords, and he said unto them, It is enough. And he came out and went as he was wont unto the Mount of Olives. Now, a lot of, there's a, because there's a, a verse change there, and some of your Bibles will have a little marker in there saying, Oh, end of section. It's actually, it's actually those. The problem is, it's not the end of section, it continues on because it says, And. And what? Well, if you're going to say and, that means something before it matters, right? I'm not going to come in and say, and then I walked over and got my drink. You're going to say, well, what was before when you walked over and got your drink? Oh, that doesn't matter. That's a separate part. No, it's, it has something to do with it. So, read it in one section. Again, we'll start in 20. Now we're going to start back a little bit further. 36. Then said he unto them, but now he that hath a purse... 
let him take it, and likewise a script. And he that has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that it is written that, he, that must be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors. Now that's a quote from, from Isaiah. For the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. And he came out and went, and as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And where did he go when he prayed? He prayed and prayed because he understood that the disciples were going to run away. As soon as something bad happened, they were going to run away. He knew that. He just told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Christ knew it was coming. He knew it was going to happen. So in this case, he's trying to explain to him, I'm sending you out like sheep to the slaughter. People are going to come after you. It's okay to be on the self-defense, to walk, take care of your children, to take care of your family, to, to fight when it's justified, but the sword is not for attack. First of all, a sword is actually, if anybody's ever studied swordsmanship or, you know, like, like martial arts where they use swords, Sword is one of the worst things you can use to attack somebody with. Because you got to get really close to them to use it. The farther you can get away from the person, the better. By the time you get that close to them where you can use a sword, you're probably in a bad situation. You're in a situation you'd rather not be in. So a sword is not the best way to fight. Matter of fact, and especially in this time, if you go look at any... Jewish commentary out there. They'll tell you bands of robbers and stuff were, were just everywhere at this time. And every male was walking around. They had basically a dagger, just about yay long, about seven inches from the tip to the end of the handle. And they would put it inside of the waistband, basically. They'd take, they'd take and put a strap around their waist to keep their, their pants up, basically. And they'd put it in there. That way, when somebody came up to them, if somebody grabbed them from behind, they could take it out and stick them and then run. But it's, it's a self-defense thing. So the people hearing it understood what he was talking about. When he's saying, make sure you have a sword, he's talking about, you know, for self-defense. So we're looking at this, and we see that, that Christ, when he talks about, you know, I don't come to bring peace, I come to bring a sword. Yeah, he's saying, you will not be okay for me if more likely... People will be gunning for you because you're a Christian, because you're saved, because you walk around with a smile on your face. People will hate you. That's just kind of the way it works. Kind of the way it works. We're going to go to Ephesians 6, and this is where we're going to end, because this is the point of the entire thing. Paul has a tendency to do a really good job of wrapping up Things and, and really putting in real tight, you know, in tight sentences and stuff, things that are really theologically dense. Then we start in the sixth chapter of Ephesians at the tenth verse. And he says, and remember, this is the Ephesians of these churches are being persecuted. These churches are being killed. These churches are being, you can't openly, you have to be privately in your study or else you're going to be killed. So Ephesians 6, starting in the 10th verse, says, Finally, my brethren, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and on your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication, meaning fasting, in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that wherein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We are in spiritual war. Amen. We are in a war for your very soul and for the souls of those Amen. around you. Amen. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. If, if as long as we are on this planet, we are to be fighting against the spiritual war that's going on. So therefore, anything people say, and they take the Bible, oh, we need this, we need that. The Holy Roman Empire was not a good thing. Having an entire empire that was said, we're going to convert the entire world by force, was not good. See what it's done. It's called, it just spread bad will throughout the whole world to this day. We still have to deal with some of the things that happened during the Holy Roman Empire to this day. Hundreds of years later, we are not soldiers in a war that are going to be on the offensive. We are soldiers in a war that is spiritual in nature. So we need to protect ourselves with what? The Word of God. We need to protect ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness. We stand, be bold, be strong, stand up, knowing that you have the truth on your side. If they kill you for the truth, they kill you for the truth. But knowing that you are on the right side. Our sword is the word of God. I mean, it's a reason why today we have so many people refer to the, the Bible as the sword. It cuts twice. It cuts going in, cuts coming out. Sometimes when you stand up here and you have to say what you've learned in the Bible, it hurts. Because I'd rather not be in the Bible. I'd rather just jump over that. I'd rather not have to deal with it. But it's in there. It hurts going in. It hurts coming out. If you read the Bible and it never pains you a little bit, then you you got to really think to yourself, am I, am I understanding what's being read here? Because generally, it's telling you to do something that's going to be difficult. One of the most difficult things is to not take up arms when threatened and be on the offensive, but to be defensive, be counter movers. We need to counter the culture. 
The culture says it's okay to kill children, babies in the womb. We say no, and we need to be smarter. We need to be quicker. We need to be more effective with our message. We don't need to stand around and scream at people and call names. And We are not wrestling against that. Because the spirit in this causes such a thing to happen is not something you can deal with with guns or knives. It is a spiritual thing. It is something. It is darkness. It is a cloud that is over the nation. And yet this is a nation that has done more good than any other. More good than any other. The misunderstanding of the Lord's army is that we have to be attacking. We're not attacking. We are a defense. We're the first defense, as a matter of fact. If we are doing our job, then we don't have to worry about the attack. Because if you have the breastplate of righteousness, if you have these things, when we are attacked, people will see that and they will think the same way we do now. When we look at the martyrs and say, can you believe what they did to this person? It was a good person. Why do we think that? Because they had the full armor of God. They allowed themselves to be taken. They allowed themselves to follow. But we are not supposed to be openly fighting physically. The, the, it's a crazy thing, but the, one of the greatest signs of the people of righteousness is what? When the person is taken down and they don't say a word. When somebody is willing to just go humbly before, whether it's in, the, in a Muslim country where they kill people, whether it's in the past when we had you know, the, the inquisitions and people were going, to go humbly, to go boldly, to speak the truth in all situations at all times. That is our call and our edict. We are in the Lord's army, but his army, his kingdom is not of this world. If we're going to fight, let's fight for each other. Let's fight for the things we know that are true. Let's fight for the truth. And let's hopefully fight less with each other and fight more against the evil and the darkness that is in this world that we can all look at and know it's there. So all we have to do is, and was what I'm praying for, I'm praying that as we go out, we can all be incredibly good witnesses simply by knowing it's it's all in God's hands. No matter what it is, it's in God's hands. All we have to do is be willing to put on the full armor of God. And what is that? The righteousness of God. It's God. It's not us. The, 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 the truth of God. The spirit of God as the one to teach us and lead us and guide us. So the misunderstanding, we are in the Lord's army. It's a spiritual battle.